The first demand is that we have effective civil rights legislation and the right to vote. Lesbians and gay men have always been in the vanguard of struggles for liberation and justice in this country. I'm a man like you. I want to live like you. This country is mine too. I paid as much for it as you. They will come to your front rooms and in your closets. They will come for the perverts. And where will you be when they come? Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. Japanese high officials sacked for homophobic remarks, captains of Christianity condemn same-gender criminalization, and black queer history repeats relevant messages. Those stories and more this week now that you found This Way Out. I'm Marcos Najera. And I'm Sarah Montague. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending February 11th, 2023. Japan's economy and trade official Masayoshi Arai told reporters that he does not even want to look at and would not want to live next door to same-gender couples or transgender people. Now, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida feels the same way about him. Kishida fired Arai after his top aide supposedly off-the-record comments. Arai claimed on February 4th opening civil marriage to lesbian and gay couples would change society and that quite a few people would abandon this country. His apology came a little too late. The Prime Minister called the remarks inexcusable even though his government has fought against marriage equality from the country's courts to the legislature. Growing public support for it may be contributing to Kashida's floundering popularity. Kashida's embarrassment is amplified by the fact that he's scheduled to host a meeting of the G7 in Tokyo in less than three months. Japan is the only G7 nation without marriage equality. Following the Intergovernmental Cooperative Summit in Germany last June, the G7 issued a joint communique in support of LGBTQ rights. It said, we seek to ensure full, equal, and meaningful participation of LGBTIQ plus persons in politics, economics, education, and all other spheres of society. Pope Francis' call to decriminalize private consensual adult same-gender sex has received the blessings of the head of the Anglican Communion and a top Presbyterian minister. The three Christian leaders spoke this week during a rare joint news conference with the Associated Press on board the Pope's jet, returning from a visit to South Sudan. The Pope told AP in a January 24th interview, being homosexual is not a crime. Archbishop of Canterbury Justin Welby affirmed Francis's expanded commentary on the flight, saying, I wish I had spoken as eloquently and clearly as the Pope. I entirely agree with every word he said. Church of Scotland moderator, the Right Reverend Ian Greenshields, added his Presbyterian voice during the Airborne News Conference. He said, There is nowhere in the four Gospels where I can see anything other than Jesus expressing love to whomever he meets. And as Christians, that is the only expression that we can possibly give to any human being in any circumstance. The trio had travelled to South Sudan in hopes of advancing this fledgling country's peace process. 
It's also one of 67 countries around the world that make homosexuality a crime. Convictions in 11 of them pose the death penalty. Sri Lanka's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Ali Sabri, has announced support for decriminalizing same-gender sex. He told the Daily Morning News outlet on February 9th that the government favors a private member bill to overturn the predominantly Buddhist South Asian nation's British colonial anti-queer sex laws. They carry penalties of up to 10 years in prison. Gentle nudging by the UK, Norway, Canada, and the US at a recent UN meeting may have pushed the move to decriminalize queer sex along. But Sabri was quick to add that marriage equality is not on the table. Leading queer rights group Equal Ground is very optimistic, but cautiously so, according to longtime Sri Lankan activist Rosanna Flamer Caldera. She told the Washington Blade, it's been more than 19 years that our organization has been advocating for decriminalization, and it's good to see the work bearing fruit, finally. But it's still a long road ahead. Flamer Caldera is right. It's not clear how long the legislative process might take. Hong Kong's Court of Final Appeal ruled this week that full reassignment surgery should not be a requirement for trans people to legally change their gender. Two transgender men went to the semi-autonomous Chinese city's top court to avoid further surgery after their mastectomies. Lower courts had dismissed their lawsuit. Trans men have also had to undergo complete hysterectomies and construction of a neo-penis before they could change their gender marker on government documents. The February 6th High Court ruling called the government-mandated surgery unconstitutional and an unacceptably harsh burden. It said, The policy's consequence is to place persons like the appellants in the dilemma of having to choose whether to suffer regular violations of their privacy rights or to undergo highly invasive and medically unnecessary surgery, infringing their right to bodily integrity. Clearly, this does not reflect a reasonable balance. Liam Mike is with Quarks, a local transgender youth organization. He told the Associated Press, every individual has different preferences or decisions in their own gender transition journey. I hope that the government will be referencing the advice from the court to protect the right of all transgender people. South Dakota will become the latest U.S. state to ban gender-affirming care for transgender young people. If Republican Governor Kristi Noem signs the measure the Republican-dominated Senate passed on February 9th, the measure sailed through the Republican-dominated House the previous week. Hormone therapy and puberty blockers for trans people under the age of 18 is specifically outlawed. Healthcare professionals who violate the law would lose their licenses and could even be sued. The law also bans any form of gender-affirming surgery performed on transgender minors, something that's rarely, if ever, done. Similar measures have been introduced in more than 20 Republican-dominated U.S. states this year. Utah enacted its own version last week. Civil rights groups have already secured federal court injunctions against enforcement of laws in Alabama and Arkansas. Utah and South Dakota are likely to be in the legal crosshairs soon, too. Finally, the thin Republican majority in the U.S. House of Representatives convened a hearing this week to investigate the so-called liberal bias of big tech, specifically targeting Twitter. The powerful House Oversight Committee gathered to expose alleged secret emails of Hunter Biden and claims that Twitter suppressed efforts to leak damning information about the president's son. 
While insurrection sympathizer Jim Jordan of Ohio led the Republican obsession with alleged left-wing conspiracies, minority Democrats pointed out that the information being censored from public dissemination were supposedly pictures of Hunter's privates. Republicans also accused the Biden administration of pressuring Twitter to remove tweets it found offensive. Testimony actually indicated that the Trump administration in fact did so. Democrat Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York put real criticisms of Twitter on the table. She asked the platform's former head of trust and safety, Yoel Roth, and former content moderation team member, Anika Collier-Haverill, about libs of TikTok. That account is a leading social media peddler of inflammatory lies about LGBTQ people, especially targeting the health care of transgender young people. Ms. Navaroli, are you familiar with the account Libs of TikTok? I have heard of it from the news, yes. Um, Mr. Roth, are you familiar with this account? Yes, ma'am, I am. Are you aware from, that from August 11th to August 16th, that account posted false information about Boston Children's Hospital, claiming that they were providing hysterectomies to children. Yes, I am aware of that and other claims from the account. And are you aware that this lie was then circulated by other prominent far-right influencers? Yes. And are you aware that all these claims, uh, which I have reiterated, were false, culminated in a real-life harassment and ultimately a bomb threat to the Boston Children's Hospital. Yes, I am aware. And this account is still on that platform today, isn't it? Regrettably, yes it is. Despite inspiring a bomb threat due to the right-wing incitement of violence against trans Americans in this country, because they cannot let go of this obsession with fixating violence and inciting violence against trans and LGBT people, in addition to immigrants, in addition to women of color, this is a party that cannot pick on anyone their own size. And they are trying to co-opt an entire social media platform and use the power of this committee and of Congress in order to pursue a political agenda. I yield back. Democratic U.S. Congresswoman Alexandria Ortezio-Cortez. That's News Wrap. Global Queer News with Attitude for the week ending February 11th, 2023. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazor, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Marcos Najera. Stay healthy. And I'm Sarah Montague. Stay safe. I'm Sarah Huckabee Sanders. The dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. (laughs) Anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. Our listeners support This Way Out in many ways. By subscribing to our e-newsletter, email us at info at thiswayout.org. And through your financial contributions to our program. More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. Thank you. Oh, 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 at last I can be free. Yeah!
Listen, I mean, I really can be me. The late great faith leader and pop music star Archbishop Carl Bean sang out about finally being free as a black gay man over 30 years ago. He would not have expected then that Black History Month in the year 2023 would be celebrated in a country so at odds with the very meaning of that history. Conservative hucksters in the U.S. are making political points by insisting that slavery be redefined as forced relocation and that references to queer theory be ripped out of African-American studies courses. I have a dream. It's not unusual for many of those same government officials to quote the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's famous speech at the 1963 March on Washington as proof that they themselves are free of any bigotry. At the same time, they strongly oppose the goals of that march. Civil rights leader Bayard Rustin was the march's principal organizer, the gay man who exposed King to the nonviolent practices of Mahatma Gandhi. He was introduced at the march by the venerable later leader A. Philip Randolph. Bayard Rustin, deputy director of the march, will read the demands. Friends, at five o'clock today, the leaders whom you have heard will go to President Kennedy to carry the demands of this revolution. It is now time for you to act. I will read each demand and you will respond to it so that when Mr. Wilkins and Dr. King and the other eight leaders go, they are carrying with them the demands which you have given your approval to. The first demand is that we have effective civil rights legislation, no compromise, no filibuster, and that it include public accommodations, decent housing, integrated education, FEPC, and the right to vote. What do you say? Number two, number two, they want that we demand the withholding of federal funds from all programs in which discrimination exists. What do you say? We demand that segregation be ended in every school district in the year 1963. We demand the enforcement of the 14th Amendment, the reducing of congressional representation of states where citizens are disenfranchised. executive order banning discrimination in all housing supported by federal funds. We demand that every person in this nation, black or white, be given training and work with dignity to defeat 
unemployment and automation. We demand that there be an increase in the national minimum wage so that men may live in dignity. We finally demand that all of the rights that are given to any citizen be given to black men and men of every minority group, including a strong FEPC. We demand... Bayard Rustin was squeezed out of his leadership role in the civil rights movement due to his known homosexuality and his past affiliation with the Communist Party. Many of the demands of the 1963 March on Washington he helped pen are painfully relevant again today. Poet, author, and feminist philosopher Audre Lorde recalled the 1963 March on Washington when she spoke at the first National March on Washington for Lesbian and Gay Rights in 1979. Before the word intersectionality came into being, her words filled the silences that tried to divide the issues of race, sexuality, gender, and class into separate categories. Thirty years ago, the first time I came to Washington, my family and I couldn't eat ice cream in a drugstore here because we were black. Now, since then, I have come to Washington many times to demonstrate and to testify to different aspects of myself and my beliefs. And I see many familiar faces from those past marches here today. For lesbians and gay men have always been in the vanguard of struggles for liberation and justice in this country and within our communities. The first national conference of third world lesbians and gay men met in Washington over the past four days and it was an outstanding success. We had third world lesbians and gay men as delegates from over 40 states, third world lesbians and gay men from Mexico, from Canada, and from England. Now, we have all come together to demonstrate our power as lesbians and gay men in behalf of our own rights. And this is the beginning of a new front, for we are saying to the world, that the struggle of lesbians and gay men is a real and particular and inseparable part of the struggle of all oppressed people within this country. I am proud to raise my voice here this day as a black, lesbian, feminist, committed to struggle for a world where all our children can grow free from the diseases of racism, of sexism, of classism, and of homophobia. For those oppressions are inseparable. The question always is, what kind of a world do we want to be a part of? And affirmation and work does not stop with this march on Washington. Each of us has a responsibility to take this struggle back to her and his community, translated into daily action. 
the National Conference of Third World Lesbians and Gay Men, and this march today were once only visions of what could be. Now all of us have made it our reality. Let us carry this solidarity that we are professing here today back with us into our everyday lives, tomorrow and the day after and next week and next year. And let it be reflected in a renewed commitment to struggle for a future where we can all flourish, for not one of us will ever be free until we are all free. Audre Lorde was not the only black lesbian feminist poet at the 1979 Third World Conference and March on Washington for Lesbian and Gay Rights. Pat Parker challenged the rally crowd to commit to resistance no matter how long it took, no matter what walk of life they came from. Where will you be when they come? They will not come, a mob rolling through the streets, but quickly and quietly move into our homes to remove the evil, the queerness, the faggotry from their midst. They will not come clothed in brown and swastikas or bearing chests heavy with gleaming crosses. The time and need for such ruses are over. They will come in business suits to buy your homes and bring bodies to fill your jobs. They will come in robes to rehabilitate and white coats to subjugate. And where will you be when they come? Where will we all be when they come? And they will come. They will come because we are defined as opposite, perverse, and we are perverse. Every time we watched a queer hassled in the streets and said nothing, it was an act of perversion. Every time we lied about the boyfriend or girlfriend at coffee break, it was an act of perversion. Every time we heard, I don't mind gays, but why must they be blatant and said nothing, it was an act of perversion. Every time we let a lesbian mother lose her child and did not fill the courtrooms, it was an act of perversion. Every time we let straights make out in our bars while we couldn't touch because of the laws, it was an act of perversion. Every time we put on the proper clothes to go to a family wedding and left our lovers at home, it was an act of perversion. Every time we heard who I go to bed with is my personal choice, it's personal, not political, and said nothing, it was an act of perversion. Every time we let straight relatives bury our dead and push our lovers away, it was an act of perversion. And they will come for the perverts. And it won't matter if you're homosexual, not a faggot, lesbian, not a dyke, gay, not queer. It won't matter if you own your own business, have a good job, or an SSI. It won't matter if you're black, Chicano, Native American, Asian, or white. It won't matter if you're from New York, or Los Angeles, Galveston, or Sioux Falls. It won't matter if you're butch or femme, not into roles, monogamous, non-monogamous. It won't matter if you're Catholic, Baptist, atheist, Jewish, or MCC. They will come. They will come to the cities and to the land to your front rooms and in your closets. They will come for the perverts. And where will you be when they come? That was black lesbian poet Pat Parker at the first National March on Washington for Lesbian and Gay Rights in 1979.
James Baldwin is acknowledged as one of the preeminent U.S. writers of the 20th century, although the racism of his native land led him to spend much of his creative life outside the country. His carefully considered and searing analysis of the causes of inner-city unrest during the late 1960s is difficult to hear even today as witnessed by the fact that we have here censored one of his carefully considered words. He would no doubt find it ironic that in the name of anti-racism, it is dangerous to be so blunt about the racism he was describing. Black people are in the streets. Has to do with the lives they're forced to lead in this country. And they're forced to lead these lives by the indifference and the um, apathy and a certain kind of ignorance, a very willful ignorance on the part of their co-citizens. Everybody knows, no matter what they do not know, that they wouldn't like to be a black man in this country. They know that and they shut their minds against the rest of it, all the implications of being a black father or a black woman or a black son. And all of the implications involved in a human being's endeavor to take care of his wife, to take care of his children, to raise his children to be men and women in the teeth of a structure which is built to deny that I can be a human being or that my child can be. The great question in the country has been all the years that I've been living here and I was born here 43 years ago, is what does the Negro want? And this question masks a terrible knowledge. I want exactly what you want. And you know what you want. I want to be left alone. I don't want any of the things that people accuse Negroes of wanting. And I don't hate you. I simply want to be able to raise my children in peace and arrive at my own maturity in my own way, in peace. I don't want to be defined by you. I think that you and I might learn a great deal from each other if you can overcome the curtain of my color, the curtain of my color is what you use to avoid facing the facts of our common history, the facts of American life. It is easy to call me a Negro or a, Negro or a promising black man, but in fact, I'm a man like you. I want to live like you. This country is mine, too. I paid as much for it as you. White means that you are European still. And black means that I'm African. And we both know. We've both been here too long. You can't go back to Ireland or Poland or England. And I can't go back to Africa. And we will live here together or we'll die here together. And it's not I am telling you. Time is telling you. You will listen or you will perish. Author, gay man, American James Baldwin. You could know. I didn't mean.
For choosing this way out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. News Wrap was reported this week by Marcos Nahara and Sarah Montague and produced by Brian DeShazer. Sweet Honey and the Rock Carl Bean and Nina Simone performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks listener donors David Hunt and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email us at info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org or wherever you get your podcasts on on KUGS Bellingham, Washington, WADR Janesville, New York, 2NCR South Lismore, New South Wales, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.